Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Derek Van Riper here today with Michael Beller breaking down a busy weekend for the waiver wire. A lot better than the last couple of weeks. Glad to have you back, Beller. It is uh, fueled by a trade that went down on Friday. The Brewers acquired Willie Adames from the Rays, sent two relievers back the other way with J.P. Fireisen being the guy that people are, are really excited about. Drew Rasmussen might be the better long-term reliever. Trevor Richards came back to the Brewers as part of that deal as well. So we're going to start with that deal and the fallout from that trade. Willie Adames as a Brewer is pretty interesting because it's a big park upgrade. And one thing that I had not realized from Adames was that he did not hit very well in the trop for his career. If you look at the splits for him during his big league career to date, you see a 217, 275, 341 line at home compared to a 293, 364, 500 on the road. I realize we can't just say the road hitter is who he is, especially with a K rate that's been well north of 30% going back to last season. But in leagues where Willie Adames is available, how much more interested are you in him now that he's getting this fresh start and moving into a more hitter-friendly home park? I, interested enough, right? I mean, we. I feel like the Brewers are making this trade to make him mostly an everyday player. Maybe not literally every single day, but I don't think they go out there and give up the relief assets that they did if they're not going to lock him into basically everyday play. So I feel pretty good about that, and I feel pretty good about getting him uh, out of the trap. As you said, I mean, we're not going to take those, uh, those road stats just at face value and assume that that's the player he is now, but... I think we can look for something in between what he was at home and what he was on the road uh, as a member of the Rays. So I feel pretty good about this. I mean, I at least think that this is someone who's worth looking into in a way that would have most people in most leagues going after him on the waiver wire. And, you know, that's really what we're looking for at this stage of the season. So, yeah, he's going to be someone who, almost regardless of need, I would be at the very least looking into as a result of this trade. Yeah, I think he should definitely be rostered, at least in 12-team mixed leagues. He may have been dropped in yeah. some of those, given mm-hmm. the sluggish start at the plate. You look at some of the projections for him. I think most systems have him hitting 240 the rest of the way. I think that's a reasonable expectation for yeah. the batting average. But if he pops 15 or even 18 home runs, I think that's the highest mm-hmm. end projection from the bat X. That plays really well in the middle infield. Um, the other question here, of course, if you're playing in an NL-only league, now you've got an everyday player entering the pool how aggressive do you want to be here? Because there's always that temptation if you've been sitting on fab in a mono league to keep <laughs> sitting on fab and wait for mm-hmm. a superstar to possibly get traded into the league, right? If you have that hammer, you get that yeah. huge impact player from the end of July on, that can be a big difference maker. But you're talking about a guy that will get a lot more time than you're going to get from a better player later. Are you looking at 15, 20, 25% of your budget in an NL only league if you're desperate for offense? Yeah, to me, this is always the uh, unsatisfying answer, but that's going to be determined by need and determined by where your roster is right now. Uh, It's still going to be somewhere in that range, right? 15 to 20%. I'm probably not going any higher than that. And whether I'm on the low end or the high end is probably going to depend on do I need this shot in the arm right now or am I still trying to sit on fab and have the hammer and be the person who's able to get the superstar who gets traded from the AL to the NL no questions asked. It's going to depend on where I'm sitting in the standings, things like that. But I do think that 15 to 20 is a fair range. And then standings, if I need a shortstop, if I need a middle infielder, determines whether I'm more on the 15 side or more on the 20 side. Yeah, quite a bit bigger bid in that format compared to mixed leagues. Like Even though he's mixed league viable down to 12 teamers, at least, I think 5% is probably closer to my target range in those leagues where Adames is available. I think as this Brewers lineup potentially gets right, he likely settles in around that sixth spot in the batting order. Um, so not a middle third guy, not a guy who's going to lead off, but a guy who will play a ton and should reap the benefits from more hitter-friendly environment. Uh, all the speculation when the move happened was that we were going to see Wander Franco. Uh, there were a few very sharp prospect-focused people who were saying it's probably going to be Taylor Walls, and we found out about 20 minutes later. Yes, it is in fact <laughs> Taylor Walls getting the first opportunity not Wander, not Bruhan, uh, but Taylor Walls is a good prospect in his own right. In most other organizations, the level of excitement about him would be quite a bit higher because there wouldn't be two other amazing middle infielders right there with him. Just like we're seeing with Wander and Bruhan at AAA, Taylor Walls was playing multiple infield positions. Bruhan's actually playing some in the outfield too. So all three of these guys 
could theoretically coexist in the lineup together eventually. It appears at this point the Rays are waiting for Super 2 considerations to pass, even if we don't know for sure that Super 2 is still going to be a thing after the next CBA. But Taylor Walls can pick it at short, but he can play other infield spots. He has a hit tool over power sort of player. And what types of leagues are you interested in him? Pretty deep. I mean, ale only, certainly. And then I don't know if anything beyond that. I mean, don't we? We have to be concerned that this is going to be short term for him, too, because of Wander, right? I mean, we have to think that these guys are coming up eventually. And so when they do, is that just going to take a knock out of Wall's playing time? So for that reason, and the, just with the way the Rays are organizationally, the way that they move a lot of guys around, that they don't necessarily have a set lineup or a set eight or set nine in the lineup every single day, I'm tempering my expectations. This has the feeling of someone who is a more impactful and better real-life player than he is a fantasy player, at least for 2021. Yeah, I could see that being true for the short term. What I'm really struggling with with this Rays team is figuring out who they are comfortable squeezing out of their roles to accommodate the younger players as they come up. I imagine they'd be happy to move Kevin Kiermeyer because there's still another year left on his deal. There are a few teams desperately looking for center field help, so maybe if they're willing to eat some money, they clear up center field. That opens up a spot that doesn't force them to take one of the current infielders out of the mix because they could play a guy like Bruhan in center field instead of forcing him into the infield. The other moving part here, I guess, could be Brandon Lau. I mean, you could theoretically play him somewhere else if you wanted to, but someone has to sit eventually. And they get the DH spot right now. Between first base and DH, you basically have Yandy Diaz and G-Man Choi. Now that Choi is healthy, we could talk about him now since we're on the Rays. He's a big side platoon guy most of the time. He did start against the lefty on Saturday. I, I, I think he's pretty consistently a 15-team league sort of player. If you're in a league with daily moves, he's on and off the roster. But I don't really see another level there, and I wonder if they're going to reach a point where they clearly make him a bench guy or if they just move on from him. We've seen the Rays do this before with productive players. Eventually, they just DFA them if they can't find a trade suitor, and they bring on the next great player that they have. And he seems like a guy who's kind of stuck in the middle. He's going to have to hit to keep his role uh, hitting so far, so good news early on here in 2021. But there's just so many ways they can configure their defensive alignment that I, I don't want to completely write off the possibility of Walls holding something close to an everyday role if he hits enough to justify it. Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. I have more worry about the guys who are coming up behind him uh, squeezing him out also. Uh, as for Choi, I think what you said about being in a daily league, I actually am in one daily league, which I personally love. And and I think what you said about him being a guy who's on and off the roster in a daily league, like I think that is something that's good to keep in mind, even for people who aren't in daily leagues. He's just, that's the kind of player he is. I just That's just the kind of fantasy player that he is. He's going to be someone who someone always has like something of a use for, but never really feels like I need this dude on my team. That's who G-Man Choi is. It feels almost like that's how the Rays feel about him. And so he, he's a, he's got a, a, an obvious, identifiable, useful skill set. And if it fits what you're looking for, then he can fill a need. But he's just not going to be a, a in-demand player. He's not going to be a priority player daily, weekly, whatever we're talking about here. And again, with the way this team moves so many pieces in and out, is so flexible with their players, it's really hard to trust anyone outside of the guys who we know are for sure going to be playing for them every day. Yeah, and to complicate matters further, in the best of ways, I mean, Yandy Diaz also hitting enough. Right. He's been an above-average hitter every year since 2018. He's walking more than he's striking out. Uh, still not getting to the power the way you'd expect for a guy who looks like Yandy Diaz. I mean, just... Mm -hmm kind of baffles me that you could be that strong right. and not hit more home runs. But <laughs> Big, yeah. at this point, I think the ship has finally sailed. I've finally given up on Yandy Diaz hitting the ball in the air more and, and actually uh, doing some damage when he does. Uh, I got a, a note here from Yancey Eaton, frequent listener of the show. Lau had oh, yeah. some big boy dongs against the lefty on Friday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he had that, I think it was 2019, was that first year that he came up, the numbers against lefties were putrid. Last year, they were quite a bit better. <laughs> I think defensively, too, you can justify keeping him in the lineup in those matchups, depending on who else you have on the roster. Maybe as they bring up more young players, that playing time becomes a little bit more complicated. Uh, but yeah, Yance also a Rays fan, by the way, for those who don't know. 
doesn't help us in fantasy. It is like the most <laughs> empty, above-average bat that you could possibly yeah. imagine. So frustrating player when he's blocking you know, potential stars, uh, guys <laughs> that we really do want to see in fantasy. Uh, as far as walls goes, I mean, we're talking... Two to three percent in mixed leagues, but yes. probably fifteen team fair. leagues is really what you're looking at right now. I think he's more of a wait and see guy in a twelve. Uh, the more interesting middle infielder, a guy that you could probably count more to Willie Adames, is Brendan Rodgers. I am always the idiot when it comes to Brendan Rodgers. I still think he's going to hit. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I think he's going to be good. I, I think he's going to be hurt a lot because he's been hurt a lot. But tell me why I'm wrong about the talent. Why why can't he be a good hitter? You're Especially not. he's going to get buoyed by the park. The team's garbage. I mean, they can obviously screw it up and play guys like Josh Fuentes instead and squeeze Rogers' (laughs) playing time because they're throwing Ryan McMahon at second base with Fuentes at third. There's a hundred ways the Rockies can screw it up. I get that. We've Mm -hmm. we've talked about that forever. Are you in on Rogers as a guy that finally has a clear path to playing time now that he's back from the I.L.? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Fuentes is in for a little bit of power, right? So <laughs> that's something that you got to contend with. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I, I mean, you're not wrong about the talent. And all the Rockies caveats apply that you laid out. But you're not wrong about the talent. This team's not going anywhere. He's still just 24 years old. It feels crazy, right? It feels like Brendan Rodgers should be someone who we're talking about as like a totally post-hype sleeper kind of guy, someone who's over the age hump too. And we're talking about him being a 27-year-old guy who, you know, the, the hype has settled a little, a little bit. That's just not the case here. 24 years old. So with all that lining up, it feels like there should be a path to playing time. It feels like this is now the time to really be buying in on him. And like, what are the Rockies doing if they're not giving him consistent playing time? Because we know the talent's there. If we know the talent's there, they know the talent's there. And so you got to see what you have in him. I mean, they, they really have to see what sort of player he can be with an everyday job. It's crazy that you look back over his entire uh, uh, career and the most he's uh, played at the major league level is 81 plate appearances in 2019. I mean, that just feels for as much talk as we've put into Brendan Rodgers, it's nuts to think that that's the case. So, They have to play. They have to play him every day. They have to see what they have in him. This is the time to do it. And just a guy with that level of talent playing his home games in Coors Field, I want to be in on it. I want to be in on him being an everyday player. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I want to take the shot on him because if it does work, it really could be a very nice power, little bit of speed combo. Yeah, you look back at his minor league track record, the second go-around at AA, the first go-around was only 38 games at the end of 2017. Got that WRC plus up to 129, was showing power, was showing speed, has kept the K rate under 20% in the upper levels of the minor leagues as well. So as he faced those more advanced pitchers, they weren't really finding a lot of holes in his approach. Um, I compare that to someone like Keston Hira, who did see the K rate tick up at that last stop, and that's foreshadowed some of the issues we've seen from him so far. I think that bodes really well. When you can put the ball in play in Colorado, good things are going to happen. It brings me to a question. If Rodgers and Willie Adames are both out there in your league, and again, we're probably looking at like a 12-teamer as the most shallow league to consider a player like Rodgers for now, who do you actually prefer at this point? I think Adames. I mean, as much as I want to get in on the Rodgers train uh, because of the talent level that's there, like Adames has done it. Uh, Adames, you know basically what you're getting like he's not going to totally hang you out to dry the way that Rodgers could or the way that the Rockies could hang Rodgers out to dry and then by that way hang you out to dry as well like that's just not happening with Adame so I I would be going after him first yeah because the playing time is probably a little safer I could see that but Mm -hmm. I think Rodgers is a really nice contingency bid and probably a guy that I'm at least in a 12-team league thinking about a 3% bid on probably going closer to 5 plus in the 15 teamers where he happens to be out there but again I'm always the sucker I'm always the one (laughs) who's there when Brendan Rodgers goes on the aisle Rodgers all day every day and actually in most (laughs) of the leagues if you're playing against me I've already got him stashed because I'm I'm really that stupid like I hope I've conveyed that clearly to everyone. Uh, let's talk about Danny Santana for a moment. He's among the other hitters that are kind of bouncing around out there. Already has made a start in center field. I kind of thought those days were over once he left Texas, but yet another versatile defender in the mix in Boston. Seems like it's really difficult to get a total read on his playing time. So how much do you expect Danny Santana to play given the other moving parts on the Red Sox depth chart? 
a couple times a week, and that's why I'm not necessarily going crazy for him. Uh, just with the way that this team uh, has played to start the first two months of the season, uh, the offense has been there up and down the lineup. Uh, Danny Santana is going to get in the lineup because of his versatility. I think more so than because of what he brings while he is being versatile. He's a guy who can spell a lot of different guys, and so that's a really nice organizational piece. That's a nice real life piece for Boston to have. You get you know someone a day off here, someone a day off there, and you're not taking away too much from your uh, you know regular lineup. And so that's a nice guy to have on your team, but I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to bring when he's in there. And we can always never be really totally sure of the playing time. So yeah, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to try to really handicap his playing time necessarily. I just think that he's way more useful as a real life player for Boston and what he's able to do for them than he's going to be for us in the fantasy world. So I'm not too interested in him personally outside of maybe that versus that, that flexibility. We love having the flexibility. We love having a guy who can fill multiple positions for us, especially with all the injuries we've seen this season, but I'm not going to go too crazy for him today. Yeah. I think I'm going like one to 2% if I just need someone who can play all over in a 15 team league, probably not going anything more shallow than that with Danny Santana. That 2019 season was such an amazing fluke. Fun if you had him that year. And <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. uh, not as fun if you bought in the shortened season hoping for something close to that in the encore. The other names that caught my eye, just getting more playing time lately, Andrew Stevenson playing a bit more for the Nats because Victor Robles, just as he's starting to hit, suffers an ankle sprain, which, again, players I love for 400, please. <laughs> I... I don't see much there with Stevenson outside of NL only yeah, leagues. Uh, I know the upper level numbers were kind of interesting. Cameron Mabin, now a Met, he's getting opportunities to play. NL only leagues only for Mabin, not much more than a min bid there. As they get healthier, I could see him either becoming a bench guy or possibly exactly. going through the DFA process again. And then Edmundo Sosa, I know you've been probably watching the Cards Cubs series this weekend. He's playing because Paul DeYoung's got a rib injury. I don't really see a whole lot of ceiling there either. So I'm, I'm looking at another kind of low-end NL-only sort of filler. I know he hit 17 homers in Memphis in 2019, but the rabbit ball was at AAA that year, and it was a below-average overall offensive performance, which has been the general trend for Sosa. He hasn't been horrible in the minors, but he's been consistently a tick below average at pretty much every stop. Yeah, you nailed pretty much everything. All three of those guys are need filler, short-term need fillers. I mean, it's basically what they are for their teams right now, for their real-life teams. That's what they are in the fantasy world. If you need an outfielder for this week, I could see going after Stevenson or Maven. If you need a middle infielder for the short term, I could see going after Sosa. But you're not going crazy for them, and you're not expecting them to fill a need long-term. That's just not who they are in real life. It's not who they're going to be in fantasy. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. Just glue guys, really, at this yep, point. exactly. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. All right, Beller, it's a good week for pitchers. Spencer Howard is up. He has replaced Chase Anderson, uh, made his return to the rotation on Saturday. It was a tough assignment for him against Boston. I think if you were in a first-come, first-serve league, you probably hustled to pick up Spencer Howard and then quickly made sure that he was on your bench and not active because <laughs> the Red Sox are a matchup you just don't want to yeah. mess with all that much. And he was crushing it at AAA. Only three innings in his start on Saturday, 5Ks, four walks, through 68 pitches, though. And he gets the Marlins on the road this week for his next opportunities. I think even if you're skeptical of Spencer Howard's workload from start to start, that's at least a streamable spot, but I think there is some long-term appeal here as well. I think there is too, and you know, not to uh, not to just totally blow up this uh, wonderful rundown that you uh, put together for us, but I think you have to think about him and Alec Manoa together because you're probably not getting both of them. I mean, would you agree with that? You're probably not going to be able to go out and get both of them if you're if you're going through Fab today. You're going to have to prioritize one or the other. There's going to be spots. Where you can, but if we're being realistic about it, you're, I just don't see 
most people being able or maybe even wanting to spend the fab resources necessary to get both of these guys. So I think you do have to think about, would I rather have Manoa? Would I rather have Howard? I think I would rather have Manoa personally just with what he's been doing uh, so far through uh, the season at AAA. But hey, like you said, Howard crushing AAA as well. Um, I think both these guys are, are really great guys to have on your teams and that you should be going after in a strong way. Um, does Howard have a safer spot in the rotation? I mean, again, like it's, it's hard to really judge this, right? Manoa's lined up with stripling and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that it gives him some sort of length in the rotation, but you know, we've seen Ross stripling have some pretty good seasons previously with the Dodgers. So I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a whole pretzel. Clearly I'm not, uh, <laughs> uh, clearly my, my mind is there too. Um, but I think I would rather have Manoa than Howard, but I will say with confidence that there's a bit on both of these guys. And if I do prefer Manoa, there's a contingency on Howard, which is basically the exact same value. It's just you have to decide which one of them you would rather have. I'm just trying to figure out what exactly the Jays are waiting for because Stripling's been <laughs> yeah. pretty bad, and I don't really yes. see any signs of hope there. So they've got a pretty clear need in the back of that rotation. I know they were running Anthony Kay out there a little bit too. It, it sure seems like the writing is just kind of on the wall that Manoa is coming up soon. They have not announced mm -hmm. this, so we're kind of left to to guess. Uh, if I were prioritizing them, assuming I don't have an immediate need, if I, if I can wait a week or two or however long it's going to be for yeah. Manoa, I do think I trust Manoa a little more, in large part because Spencer Howard has to make half the starts in Philly. It's one of the more difficult places mm -hmm. to pitch league-wide, so that factors in as well. Um, so I think if we're talking about Manoa... Can you bid more than five to seven percent in a typical mixed league? Though I don't know if you can go all in on him, not knowing if he's coming up right away. I could, I could see myself pushing to ten percent. Um, let me give you an example. In top wars, I've got uh, Jacob Degrom, but obviously coming back, I've got Mike Soroka, who I expected to have on my team at this stage of the season. That hasn't happened. I've got Jose Arquiti on the aisle right now, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be too long of a situation. But just given where that rotation sits, I could see going to like 10% on him uh, just because I not, not only need just an arm, but a ceiling arm. And that's why I would maybe go to 10% on a guy like Manoa because the ceiling is there for him, certainly, with what we've seen uh, so far this AAA season. It might not work out, but... You know, those are the shots we have to take. Like, it, you're not like, how do you get a ceiling arm? You either get a big time prospect comes up, or you make a big trade where you're sacrificing significant assets. So, I would rather take that 10, even 12% bid on a guy like Manoa and hope that it works out rather than having to sacrifice significant assets from my team already to go out and get that ceiling arm. I guess the other thing you have to think about if you make the bid today and we don't have a confirmation yet that he's coming up. It's probably going to cost you less now than it will next week if he gets the call in the next Definitely. few days, right? And people see him first, too. Uh, there's a chance for him to start, I think, as soon as... Well, he'd be, he'd be on the same turn as Stripling. They're not, at yeah. this point, telling us they're scratching Stripling. So it could be a couple days after Manoa's start. I think it could be Wednesday. It could be the day they yeah. let him join the rotation. Again, they optioned Anthony K down, so it looks like it's about to happen. I don't know if I'd go any higher than 10% right now, even though I really like Alec Manoa. I think he's, of the pitchers currently stuck in the minors, maybe the, the highest ceiling guy we could see debut this year. I think that's absolutely yeah. in the cards. Uh, if we're going back to Howard for a minute, I think we're probably looking 5% is roughly the bid. If he goes yeah. higher than that, you know what? I'm going to let it go this time. And unless I'm desperate for pitching, I think that's where I'm capping my bid. Uh, getting ready for this show yesterday, I was really surprised. Kyle Gibson is not universally rostered yet and i realize there's a a long track record of kyle gibson not being nearly good enough to be universally rostered so if you've been burned multiple times by gibson i guess you know i understand but he's now sitting with a 224 era and a 101 whip through 10 starts this season i don't know what more we need to see the k rate's not off the charts good but 48 strikeouts in those 16 to third innings 19 walks so he's not walking a lot of guys keeping the ball in the park. And we know the new park in Texas is definitely more pitcher-friendly. How thin of a league does it have to be before you're going to say, yeah, I can't roster Kyle Gibson? Is, is he the kind of guy that should be everywhere, eight-team leagues, ten-team leagues, at least for the short term? 
I think you should. I think I don't think there is a league thin enough. I'd like I'm playing fantasy baseball by myself, and just like I've got Mike Trout and Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto as my outfield, like <laughs> like that's it. Like I, yeah, you like you. I mean, he, he's burned people before. He hasn't been good enough to be rostered before. But ten starts, the ERA, the WHIP he's putting up, like give him a chance and see what happens over the next ten starts. Like I, I just don't see why he shouldn't be owned totally across the board. Yeah, it just struck me as really odd looking at some of the numbers when we were uh, getting ready for this. Uh, Let's talk about James Caprillion. He's in the rotation right now with Jesus Lazardo and Mike Fires down in Oakland. Uh, K's have been there to this point, and there's certainly prospect pedigree. He, of course, was part of the Sonny Gray trade a few years ago between the A's and the Yankees. A little older than you'd expect because of the injuries and the missed time, but he was also drafted out of college as a first-rounder back in 2015. How about a 33.3% K percentage just in these first couple of starts? I'm just curious, in what types of leagues are you interested in Caprillion, knowing that there could be a point where they're healthy enough to not have him in that rotation? There almost certainly will be a point, right, unless he forces his way in. But again, like we were talking about, with Manoa, it's a ceiling arm. It's not the same ceiling in pretty much all sorts of terms. Most importantly, as this discussion goes, in terms of having a rotation spot once the team is healthy. Like when Manoa's up, he's going to have a rotation spot. Caprellian, that might not be the case once Oakland gets fully healthy. But 33.3K% speaks for itself, even though it's just a couple of starts. So there's a ceiling here. There's an identifiable ceiling that we trust a little bit more because of that pedigree that he brings to the table. He's someone who I'm going after, certainly, in 14, 15 teamers. I feel okay about that. Probably not going more than a couple of percent on my bid for him, but definitely someone who's going to be on my radar as I'm making my bids a little bit later today. Yeah, I think he's more of a contingency option in most Mm -hmm. formats. Uh, does have a, a home start against Seattle this week, so I think even if you're concerned about long-term value and how effective he's going to be, that's an absolutely streamable spot down to at least the 12 teamers, maybe even down to 10 teamers. If you don't have some kind of innings cap, I think I'd be willing to take on that chance because even with Kelnick, that is a putrid Seattle lineup. Of course, they've been no hit twice already this year, so not much to fear uh, as you look at that matchup. Uh, we had a question come in from Alfonso in a 12-team head-to-head points league. Should you drop Wander? He's been holding since the beginning of the season. I mean, if we're thinking about Super 2, that cutoff's probably about three weeks from now. If that's yeah, what they're right. playing okay. for, it, it, you, you can't really look too much at the fact that you've held them this long. That's that's sunk cost. Like That's missed opportunities to pull up other mm-hmm. players. I thought it made sense to hold him to this point, and I think I'm expecting enough of an impact to continue holding him unless I'm completely squeezed and just don't have enough players to... Yep. As long as I'm not taking zeros... I'm still holding Wander with one of those precious bench spots. Exactly my exactly what I was going to say. As long as you're not taking a zero, then I'm going to hold on to him. I'm holding on to him in a 15-teamer, Alfonso, so I'm right there with you. Um, and yeah, if you as long as you're able to fill your spots, as long as you're able to get all your starters filled, then I would still be holding on to him. You knew this was uh, uh, the most likely outcome for Wander back when you got him, and, and I still feel like we're going to be sitting here mid-June talking about empty the fab because Wander Franco's up for Tampa. Yeah, it's going to be really pricey in leagues where he gets dropped. So uh, <laughs> yeah. hopefully you can avoid that if possible. Uh, let's talk about Tony Gonsolin for a moment. I think he kind of fits into this group of there's a bunch of guys that are injured making their way back. There's a few coming back from Tommy John. Like Noah Syndergaard started his uh, rehab assignment earlier this week, I think it was. Uh, Chris Sale's starting to make some progress. Severino's making progress. Framber Valdez isn't too far away. Gonsolin's not too far away. If you want to get one of these guys, it's pretty much going to be now or never to get them cheap where they were dropped. I think of all those names that I mentioned, I think Gonsolin's probably the most likely to be available. Fraumberg probably isn't too far behind in some leagues because it looked like a possible season-ending injury. So uh, comparing him to the guys that we're talking about earlier, some guys who are actually making starts this week, uh, how does Gonsolin stack up for you in terms of interest to possibly stash? Uh, pretty high. I mean, I, I do think that he's going to, if I had to bet on it, I would bet on him holding a spot in that uh, rotation once he comes back. I mean, we're at the Dodgers. We talked about this so much in the offseason, how many teams can afford to you know, have Tony Gonsolin as like this luxury. Is he a bullpen guy? Is he going to make a couple of starts? Is he going to be you know a guy who comes in and throws three innings? Like There weren't many teams that were going to be able to think about that. Uh, the Dodgers were, but it takes you back to the fact that 
in an ideal world, Tony Johnson was a starter. So now that they are in this position with Dustin May out and with you know David Price and others like stringing things together, I do think that we could see Tony Johnson just slot right into the rotation. And if that ends up being the case, then he becomes a very attractive guy. So this is mostly a bet on Gonsolin being someone who holds down a spot in the rotation. And like looking back at the guys we talked about, I mean, again, I keep, you know, we keep going back to Howard and Manoa. Like I would rather have Gonsolin if he's going to be a rotation guy. I'd rather have him than those guys. I, I just, you know, we've just seen enough from him at the major league level, whereas we haven't from the other, from the youngsters that uh, I just prefer him. And so uh, it really comes down to do you think or don't you think he's going to have a spot in the rotation? If you do think he's going to have a spot in the rotation, I think he's the top pitcher to go after this weekend. Yeah, and last weekend, there's a team I call manage in the 12-team Rotowire Online Championship on the NFBC leagues. Gonsolin was out there, and my co-manager said, we got to get Gonsolin, we got to get him right now. And I was like, all right. I mean, I think you can probably throw like a pretty close to min bid in on him. He goes, no, nah, I think we got to go more. And he came up with about a 7% bid. The runner-up bid was in the 5% range, so it's going to yeah, take something you along those lines. If, you, if you're in a league where people are paying attention and he's out there, mm-hmm. You know, look out. Uh, this is a good reminder too. If you're sorting by stats, guys who haven't pitched this year because of injuries, they're <laughs> obviously buried. So you do have to actually search for them if you don't have it sorted by the uh, percentage rostered, which you know would also highlight players that should be rostered that are not currently rostered. Uh, one other thing to pass along: Miles Michaelis was going to be a topic on today's show. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he left his start with an injury, uh, another arm issue, and it was play was warming up before the fifth inning, which is really too bad because he was pitching well, pitched really well in his last rehab start at AAA. But he could be facing a pretty lengthy absence. So, unfortunately, Miles Michaelis not somebody that we're going to be bidding on this weekend. Uh, let's get to a few two-start pitchers, uh, much like the Kyle Gibson conversation a few minutes ago what are people waiting for with spencer turnbull exactly i mean (laughs) another no hitter (laughs) yeah another no i mean i know those aren't a big deal anymore but he's he's pitching well and he was pitching well even before the no hitter so if you happen to be in one of those eight or ten team leagues where turnbull's still out there i actually think he's pretty rosterable in just about every format very similar to gibson probably a guy that i like a little more than gibson because i expect more strikeouts from turnbull uh, both guys yeah. could end up on better teams at some point this summer, too. You could see them easily being trade targets for contenders. What about Tarek Skubal, though? He's more widely available because he's been struggling, to put it mildly, to this yeah. point. But he just got his first win of the season on the road in Seattle. Again, a case to stream mm-hmm. against the Mariners. Uh, if you look at the last mm-hmm. three starts, though, from Tarek Skubal, he's gone at least five innings every time out. Total of eight earned runs allowed and 22 Ks against five walks. The big issue... For him, he is not avoiding barrels at all. By far leads the league in barrel rate among pitchers. Like It's not even close. So there's a legitimate home run problem that doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Would you dare pick him up for two home starts with Cleveland and the Yankees coming up this week? Yankees one scares me, right? I mean, Cleveland, not the most scary offense, and maybe they're going to be playing without um, uh, uh, Fran Mill. Uh, I haven't heard anything uh, updated from uh, why he left the game yesterday, uh, so uh, we, you know, we'll see if he's out there today, but that's just something to keep in mind. If they're without Fran Mill, it's a, uh, an even more attractive start. But that Yankees one scares me, and just with the way Scoobles pitched uh, to this point of the season, just getting knocked around, who cares about him getting a win against Seattle? Like, I don't think I can go this unless I'm desperate for the two starts. And we've got a few other guys here that we're going to talk about who I would go for first. Yeah, there's a, a slight reek of desperation with a few of the names that we're going to get to here <laughs> in the next few minutes. But uh, I am also going to be careful with Scooble. I think the scenario in which I would consider streaming him, if I'm already near the bottom in ratios and I, all I'm really trying to do is get lucky at this point, like I, I realize my pitching's totally screwed. I think there's a case to go ahead and, and pick him up for this two-start week, see if you can sort of pick up on the momentum that he's had these last couple starts, because there could be some long-term appeal. And I think the Scooble interest for me is mostly in leagues where I'm playing for the future. So if it's a keeper or dynasty league and I'm not going to win this year, I do think he's one of those guys, because he's in the big leagues right now, because the track record in the minor leagues is great, the ability to miss bats is already being proven at the highest level. There's enough there to buy into him in the long run. I just think it's going to be hard to win with him in 2021 if he doesn't correct that massive home run problem in the immediate future. 
Uh, frequent streamer option, Jake Arietta gets two this yes, week. Anytime we see Jake Arietta versus the Pirates, he shows up. He's on our show. Uh, second one comes at home against the Reds. Being that the Reds are, are so banged up and that it's a start at Wrigley, that start doesn't scare me all that much. I mean, you look at Cincinnati's offense for the season, they are a little bit above a league average team, a 105 WRC plus. Certainly have the ability to do some damage with the long ball, but I think this is a good enough combination of matchups where I can throw yeah. a, a small bid, 1-2% to on Arietta and, and be happy enough to use him this week if I'm looking for starts. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's the Pittsburgh start. It's and like I, I've talked about this before. Right? I have this weird mental hurdle where I really like the the good matchup being the first one because then you've already banked it, and it's like, oh, if he gets you know four runs and in six innings against the Reds, whatever. Like I already got the good Pittsburgh start, so I like that it's coming first. But whether it was coming first or second, you get that Pittsburgh start. Arietta has. Uh, but had like it seems like every time the Cubs and the Pirates play, Arietta's somewhere in that series. He's had a couple of good starts against the Pirates. I don't see that ending this week. So even if the Reds, uh, as banged up as they are, are still a tough matchup, I'll definitely take that Pittsburgh start. Arietta's probably as the of the names we've got available. If he's available in my league, probably the first guy I'm going after. If my mind is just on, I need two starts this week. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't think Jake Arietta's really good at this point. I think it's reflected in the numbers. <laughs> it's reflected in the projections. Yeah. He's not missing yeah. many bats. He's walking too many guys. He's got a home run issue. This is not an endorsement of Jake Arietta as a good pitcher. This is merely an acknowledgement that this schedule is good enough in deeper mixed leagues to actually use him this week, which brings us to... Austin Gomber, he's back. Yeah. Uh, it went so well for me last time that I picked him up for a two-start <laughs> week. I figured, why not do it again? He gets two on the road. Let's he gets a very, very banged-up Mets team. And then he gets the mm-hmm. aforementioned Pirates. And Gomber, other than that meltdown, again, other than that meltdown, he's actually gone five <laughs> innings in six of his last seven starts. So you're getting depth. You're getting shots at a win. I know that Rocky's offense is absolute garbage, so... These could be some pretty low-scoring games where you're dependent on the Rockies finding a way to scratch out runs and then the Colorado bullpen actually protecting leads. But if you're thinking about Arietta, you should be thinking about Gomber because skills-wise, I think you can make an argument that Gomber is actually quite a bit better. I mean, that th- this is just a great uh, uh, couple of starts, couple of matchups that he's got. As you said, uh, if you're thinking about Arietta, definitely be thinking about Gomber. I mean, with all those injuries the Mets have, this is just not an offense that you should be really scared by. I mean, just too many injuries, too many guys who are going to be out. I mean, how many regulars? We talked about this with Tim Britton uh, in our show on Thursday. Like, we're not just talking about regular starters, talking about guys who the Mets expect to be at the heart of their offense who aren't going to be available for them. So you look at that and then Pittsburgh coming after it. I mean, this is a pure matchup play, but who cares? Like, go and get those matchups. I definitely think Gomber is someone to go after if you're looking for a couple of starts this week in a big, big way. Yeah, and because he roasted everybody the last time there was a two-step, <laughs> I think it's going to be a reasonably cheap yeah. bid. I would actually prioritize him ahead of Arietta, maybe 2 to 3% at most if you're mm-hmm. looking for starts, but 1% to 2% should get it done. Um, so again, Gomber over Arietta. I cannot make that clear enough. And yeah, I'm probably wrong and stupid again in this instance as well. I'll readily admit it. Uh, It looks like Kyle Freeland is actually going to get the same matchups. Any interest in Freeland taking a crack at the Mets and the Pirates? Yeah, I I mean, I guess so. But again, like I'm going after Gomber first. I'm going after Arietta first. Uh, So like we're talking about contingency. But Again, right when you're in the two-start mindset, you're thinking, I, I need some innings, all right? I need some starts. And so if that's your mindset, I think Freeland is good enough, and the matchups, more importantly, are good enough where he still crosses the threshold of being useful in his two starts and being a guy who checks the box of the innings. So yes, useful, but still, he's a contingency, not a guy who I'm prioritizing. Yeah, his 2018 happened, and I didn't see it coming. The 285 ERA, the 125 whip over. I don't think anyone did. 202 <laughs> innings. What? I mean, no one's expecting that to happen ever again. But if you could pull that for 200 innings, pitching half your games in Colorado, I think you can be useful with a couple of matchups against offenses that, thanks to the Mets' injuries, are probably mm-hmm. both bottom. Five, bottom seven at least. The Pirates are easily like a bottom three team. So, Bottom one maybe? Yeah. Uh, you could probably even <laughs> min-bid with Freeland since he hasn't pitched this year due to that shoulder injury. So 
consider yeah. that as an option as well. Um, can you talk me into Brad Keller? Do you want to talk <laughs> me into Brad Keller? I, well, why, well, yeah, why am I doing it? I thought you were going to talk me into Brad Keller. Why is this uh, suddenly foisted on me to be the person talking anyone into Brad Keller? No, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to be the person talking anyone into Brad Keller. I can't do it. Can you? Mm, two on the road against offenses <laughs> that could do a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I'm not there. Uh, let's try David Peterson instead. Home against the Rockies, but then home against the Braves, especially with the Braves cranking out a what a twenty burger on Friday night. Yeah. Hmm. Is that good start yeah. good enough to make the, the extremely risky second one worth it? This is like the ultimate test of my uh, first start, good start, second start, bad matchup theory. Um, I don't think so. I, I I don't want to do it. I just don't want him in there against Atlanta. I don't want him as part of my roster against Atlanta. Uh, stream for sure. If you're if we're talking daily league and you can stream him uh, against Colorado and then you don't have to play him against Atlanta or if you can make midweek changes and you can get him for that Colorado start and not the Atlanta start, then I can get on board. But if I have to take the Atlanta start, I don't want him then. I just don't. I look forward to hearing that take on fantasy baseball in 15 uh, later this week with uh, <laughs> yeah. Peterson being the best streamer on the slate that day. I mean, he very well you might be it. because, again, the Rockies by far the worst offense uh-huh. in the league. Take him out of Coors. There's really nothing to be afraid of except for Brendan Rodgers. You should be afraid of Brendan Rodgers. Very afraid. Brendan Rodgers is going to have like a three-homer game against David Peterson. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. I, I might have to make a lineup that day and just throw Rodgers in there as my only Rocky just to see if that – that happens. That'd be that'd be an amazing way to take down a tournament. By the way, uh, Cole Irvin, who has shoved a three fifty nine ERA and one sixteen WHIP so far this season, yeah. done it with a sub twenty percent K rate, but doesn't really walk guys. Doesn't really have a home run problem. The projections don't love him, but they don't hate him. A one twenty eight WHIP's mm-hmm. not that bad. A mid fours ERA is a little rough, but two home starts, Seattle and the Angels, and I think the question you have to start asking yourself is, okay, without Mike Trout, where do you really put that Angels offense? Like, sure, Otani's great and Rendon's great. Some of the other secondary options of the offense aren't bad, but if they were league average on the season with Trout there most of the time, then they kind of have to be below average with just about anybody they're going to throw out there to replace him. So what's your trust level with Cole Irvin? Uh, it's higher than Keller or Peterson. I would I would be going after him. I would play him. I would put him more in like the uh, you know maybe not quite the uh, Gomber range uh, just because Gomber's shown us a little bit more. But uh, I think that I feel pretty comfortable making him like I would put him right there with Freeland. Um, I just think that these matchups are wonderful without without Trout. Yes, this is a maybe the average with Trout was a little bit of just uh, you know some noise in a what. 50-ish game sample, but there it's an average. Without Trout, that's an average at best offense. As great as Otani and Rendon are, that's average at best. We know what Seattle is. Two very good matchups. I think Irvin should uh, be someone who we're talking about in the, uh, you know, somewhere in that Gomber to Freeland range. He's maybe not quite Gomber, a little bit better than Freeland. He's somewhere on that spectrum. I mean, I think he's better than Arietta for sure. So I, I do think Gomber versus Irvin is probably the toss-up, and I'm tempted to actually go Irvin where available. He's been better, so he's less available naturally. Uh, But part of the reason is being at home in Oakland. It's a great place to pitch. That also really kind of softens the blow. Getting both those starts Mm -hmm. at home, I think, makes this particular combination of matchups very, very appealing. Uh, One more name to get to here among the possible two-start pitchers this week. Ross Stripling, kind of like the Brad Keller question, home against the Rays, road against Cleveland, so slightly better matchups. The second one at Cleveland, if you can only pick one, I think maybe in a deep league you consider that, but are you trusting Ross Stripling given his recent form? I'm not, and you have to be concerned that the rotation spot's not going to be there for him, right? I mean, uh, we're probably not going to get word on that today, but would anyone be surprised if we woke up on Monday and the Bla- the uh, Blue Jays are calling up Alec Manoa if they're, you know, day of this start, they're calling up Alec Manoa to take Ross Stripling's uh, rotation spot? No one would be surprised. We're expecting it at this point with the uh, with the roster race we're seeing for Manoa and the uh, what he's done so far in the AAA season, so... I just can't get on board. Not only are you trusting a guy with an ERA over seven, or not maybe trusting him, but going after a guy with an ERA over seven, you're going after a guy with an ERA over seven whose rotation spot might not be there when his next start comes around. So uh, it's a no for me on Stripling. Get some uh, one more question here. Pretty gross ratios from the player that's being asked about. This question comes from Eric. 
Uh, Alex Cobb looked good in his last start, had control of that splitter eventually. That's the key word, though. It's like it comes and goes for him. The strikeout rate has been really good. Is there any hope for Alex Cobb? And we're talking about a guy that has a 478 ERA and a 152 whip so far, but 35 Ks in 26 and a third innings. What do you think about Cobb at this point? I would take a shot. I, you know, I actually do have him. I've just uh, been stashing him on my uh, Top Wars DL because we have unlimited uh, DL or IL spots, so it doesn't really cost you anything. Um, but that's not the only reason I'm holding on to him. I'm holding on to him because of the K rate, as you said, Eric. And so, yeah, I think that there's there's enough here to at least give him a couple of spins through the rotation. And maybe it goes, maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to at least give him a couple of opportunities before I totally let him go. All right. Thanks a lot for that question, Eric. And feel free to send questions and we'll try to get to those before we wrap things up here at the end of the hour. All right, Bella, we move on to relievers as we wrap things up on this week's episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast Waiver Edition. The interesting <laughs> thing for me is that we've talked about a few guys, Hansel Robles and Tyler Rogers, who are still bouncing around on the wire in a decent number of leagues. So the guys we're going to talk about today, it's sort of a are these guys better than those options since they're still holdovers on the wire from last week? Uh, let's begin with Michael Fulmer, whose transformation to the bullpen appears to be complete. And I would say, much like I've mentioned in passing with Spencer Turnbull and Kyle Gibson, Michael Fulmer is probably the kind of guy who's going to end up on the trade block this summer. And he's probably going to end up in a better bullpen. So he's probably not going to be getting saves beyond the trade deadline if that happens. But... Mm -hmm. I think he could worry about that later. I mean, the skills look really good. He's got a 30 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio, ERA in the low threes. The whip looks good. The velo is solid. I think Fulmer is actually a really nice player to go after if you're looking for that second or third source of saves right now. Totally agree with you. Totally agree. I think you, you hit every point that's important on Michael Fulmer. The most important one that I'll drive home, don't worry about the trade deadline. If he gets traded to a better bullpen and he's not closing anymore, you know, you'll deal with that in July. Don't worry about it right now. I think he's getting saves and that the, the skill set should keep him in line to be getting those saves for Detroit. And uh, you've got another question written down in here, ready to drop Gregory Soto where previously rostered. Yes, I am ready to drop Gregory Soto were previously rostered. This feels like it's Fulmer in the ninth, uh, Fulmer getting the saves for Detroit. And so I think you can let Soto go, go after Fulmer wherever he's out there. Yeah, probably like nine weeks from now, we'll talk about Soto as someone you need to pick up because Fulmer got traded because <laughs> he'll be the holdover yeah. guy. Like he'll, he'll be worth adding again later, but uh, not getting enough opportunities right now to be rostered in most mixed leagues. Uh, Blake Trinan is also part of the conversation this week because I think it's become increasingly clear he is the guy behind Kenley Jansen. Jansen's pitching well enough. And I think the issue with the Dodgers, they win a lot or will win a lot. And Jansen will be used a lot. But he'll need some days off. And when they give him a day off, it's Trinan who they turn to to close out games. We saw that happen on Friday night. And I'm pretty sure the setup that day was Jansen had pitched on three of the previous four days. So they weren't going to go four out of five with him. They're not going to go three in a row with him. There's no reason for them to do that. So in leagues where Trinan's available, do you have him? a notch behind Fulmer just because he's capped unless something goes wrong with Jansen. Yeah. I mean, you, just, you can't go after him over Fulmer. He's just not going to get the save opportunities that Fulmer is, but the strikeouts are back, right? Uh, near the 10 and a half K's per nine innings for Trinan so far this season. So the strikeouts are back for him. We didn't really see that uh, in the, in the shortened season last year, we didn't see it in a huge way, even going back to 2019, but this looks maybe more like 2018 Trinan, uh, more like a, the 2018 version of him than we've seen since that 2018 season. So I, I feel comfortable with him uh, in leagues where a guy like that plays, where a next guy up uh, and a guy who can give you strikeouts and solid ratios, even when he's not saving games. If a guy like that plays in your league, Blake Trinan should be someone who's on your radar later today. A really nice ninth pitcher in those deeper mixed leagues because, yeah, he can vulture some wins even when he's just working in front mm -hmm. of Kenley Jansen. Uh, Daniel Hudson could end up back in the mix for saves because Brad Hand, if you don't have Brad Hand on your teams, you might not realize he is not pitching well right now. I mean, he has been in a funk really for most of May to this point. Hudson, to me, is just so mediocre. Like I'm, I'm not excited to pick him up, but if I'm desperate for saves, this is one of the few places where I think, for now at least, we have a pretty clear idea of who the next option up really is. 
great guy to go after uh, as a week ahead guy because everything that's going on with Brad Hand uh, really has to have you concerned. And uh, the note you have uh, allowing five runs or runs in five of his last six appearances, like that's the sort of thing that gets you in trouble as a closer, even when you are getting the save. Like this dude is not fooling anyone right now. He's just getting into trouble. He's he's creating uh, games out of things that should just be easy wins for Washington. And so that's really where you have to get concerned. Uh, Davey Martinez, it would not be a surprise that he would want a steadier hand uh, in the ninth inning. And Daniel Hudson, at least at this point of the season, has provided that steadier hand. So if they ultimately do make a change, he's clearly the next guy up. And we know how this, cha- how this works. You get him now, he's relatively cheap, min-bid perhaps. You wait till he's the closer, he's going to cost you like 40% of your remaining fab. So if you do have that roster spot to play with, if you've got uh, someone who you can, uh, a spot that you can use on a week ahead guy, Daniel Hudson definitely checks all the boxes you're looking for. And we're probably looking at more like a 5% bid on someone like Fulmer, 1% to 2% bids on guys like Trinan and Hudson. No need to go yep. completely overboard with them. Uh, thinking about Robles, who I mentioned earlier, and Tyler Rogers in San Francisco. I think Fulmer is the only one who's clearly better than those guys. I think they're all kind of similar otherwise. Like there's a clear difference for me with yeah. Fulmer compared to the rest of this group. Uh, one more, maybe a min bid sort of candidate. I don't really know how this is going to play out, but the Orioles are suggesting that Cesar Valdez is going to move out of the ninth inning because they don't have enough quality right handed options to get to the ninth inning. So they could go with the lefty and Paul Fry instead. Like, this just seems like a total mess, and I'm not sure I'm really buying into this. <laughs> Who doesn't this. have quality right-handed options in their bullpen in 2021, right? Like, couldn't you go outside your door and probably find, like, yeah, you can you can be a righty in a bullpen and do, like, how is that possible? Just, Only the Orioles. Just, no Orioles magic when it comes to right-handed relievers, I guess. Just find someone jogging through your neighborhood and be like, <laughs> you look kind of athletic. Why don't you go to driveline and, and come back next year and see if you can throw some gas? Like, uh, it's, it's, it's not quite that easy, but yeah, I... It's a strange thing to have. Hunter Harvey's been hurt, and I wonder if he actually ends up being the guy eventually when healthy, but he's like the sure. Brendan Rodgers of pitchers, unfortunately, yes, where it's like, is. I think he might be good, but he might even be more broken than Rodgers, so relying on him, stashing him is really tough, so if you're going to bid on Paul Fry, it is a min bid, and hopefully you are just so desperate for saves that he's a contingency bid behind some of these other names, because I am... Frankly, I'm just not seeing a path for him to be that good at this point. So uh, who else are you looking at? Is there anybody else you're thinking about picking up? You mentioned Tout Wars. Is there anybody uh, on your radar this week? Yeah, man, you know, I actually haven't uh, done my sweep through uh, through the uh, who's, who's available in my league. So that's something uh, that I'm doing next here after we uh, wrap up the show. But uh you know, I just like I, I look at these. I look at all the guys who we um, who we've talked about, and there's just the, like it's just it's been a thin couple of weeks. And uh, you know, even though this week was a little bit more robust than what we've seen in weeks past, it's not like there's a ton of quantity available. So I think more than anything, I'm going to emphasize the quality. I'm not going to try to worry about picking up multiple guys. I'm going to be going after you know prioritizing Manoa. Maybe Spencer Howard, Willie Adames, if I have that need. Like I'm, this is a week to me where I would rather make one good acquisition rather than you know a couple of fringy acquisitions. Yeah, and if you're looking for one more name, I didn't mention him at the group of hitters. Tyler Stevenson only rostered in about 14 percent of CBS leagues. He's been playing first base with Joey Votto down. He's holding a prominent spot in the lineup for the Reds as well. So just kind of an interesting guy for two catcher leagues if he happens to be out there in your league. So that's one more for the road. Uh, If you're looking for some written waiver wire content, we have that over at The Athletic. And if you don't have a subscription already, you can start for just $1 a month at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Scott Engel writes up the ads and drops piece every week. We also have the weekly planner piece from Al Melchior. I've got a prospect piece I write up every week, midweek. Uh, we got updated rankings from Eno prior to the weekend on the pitching side as well. So lots of good stuff to check out there. Just $1 a month to start at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. On Twitter, he is at mbeller. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday with Under the Radar.